Rising Stars of SaaS is brought to you by Our Crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join Our Crowd for free at ourcrowd.com/twist. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now Odoo is offering $1000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com/twist. That's o d o o.com/twist. And pipe SaaS companies, this is for you. Pipe helps you unlock your recurring revenue as upfront capital. No debt, no loans, no dilution. Sign up in minutes and start trading on Pipe free for 12 months at pipe.com/twist. All right everybody, welcome back to another episode of This Week in Startups. It is our Stars of SaaS this is a series we do. We like to do series uh, so we can dive deeper over 10 episodes, let's say, into a specific topic that we think is critically important for founders and investors. That's the bulk of the audience here. We do have people who are fans of technology, fans of entrepreneurship. We also have a contingent of haters, communists, socialists who watch this show and they hate watch it. They just hate watching people become successful, becoming rich and affluent and changing the world and using and creating products and services that are not created by the communist and socialist governments. So welcome socialists and communists to This Week in Startups. You can hate <laughs> watch now. Uh, we respect your ability to create no value in the world and only take and redistribute things that you didn't make. Anyway, a little mini rant there. Rising Stars of SaaS um, is a 10-part series. We just had a great guest, Jason Lemkin, the godfather of SaaS was on. We had a rambling talk. You should check that one out, episode 1147. Before that, I had Darius from Meritas, oh, yum, yum, talking about ISIS, income sharing agreements, and how these put the onus on the school to get their students jobs. And if they don't get a job, they don't get paid. Not the student, the school. And that is tweaking a lot of teachers unions and a lot of uh, just totally incompetent uh, universities that are giving people $200,000 degrees. Love that disruption from Darius at Meritas. Uh, we had Dish Crash, Dish Craft Robotics, which is going to get rid of the job of dishwashing. I am sorry that we are eliminating <laughs> the job of dishwashing from humanity, but it is a really bad job. It's the worst job you could ever have. So let's get rid of dishwashers and give those people something better to do with their lives. That was a really interesting one. Chris Webb from Chow Now was on. They are breaking the false notion that, my goodness, Uber Eats and Postmates and DoorDash are taking advantage of these poor restaurants because they're providing them delivery service and customers. Such a stupid framing. What Chow now does, uh, Chow now does, and, and Chris explained this is, he tells the restaurants, if you don't want to use Uber Eats, you don't want to use Postmates, competition in the free market exists. I will give you software so you can run your own version of DoorDash. And many restaurants are choosing to do that. And they're telling their customers, don't order on those other delivery services. We want you to order direct from us. We want to capture that 30% or 20% that those companies are taking. 
and viva la difference that puts more pressure on everybody in the system to make better products and services so it's been just i'll be totally honest a great series i thought it was going to be a little boring the, the the future of SaaS, but man great job producer nick and to the this week in startups audience for coming up with really interesting companies and i'm very excited about today's guest his name is christian reber 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 yeah Reber, yeah. got it. And Christian Reber doesn't know this, but I was a fan of his first set, or his previous SaaS product, I don't know if it was his first, called Wonderlist. Wonderlist was wonderful. It was a really <laughs> elegant to-do list and task manager that I used at all my companies. And I loved using, and everybody on the team loved using it. They just loved when J-Cal came in and put bullet points and items for them to do <laughs> and stacked up all that work for them. You can ask any team member. There's nothing better than having J-Cal come in and just put eight things on your list for you to do this weekend uh, when you had plans to go skiing or something. I'm joking. But uh, he created a Wonderlist. Uh, which was, it was a, you know, to do task management, but just done so well. We'll talk about that. He sold it to Microsoft, which was heartbreaking to me. Uh, he sold it in 2015. He had, I think, 13 million users for that. But lo and behold, yum, yum. Somebody sent me a pitch from a website, pitch.com. And I looked at it, Christian. Mm -hmm. And I said, this is elegant and beautiful, and I'm already addicted. <laughs> I, I don't have any presentations because we're taping this in the year of Corona, and all of my high-paid speaking gigs that pay down all my gambling debts, all of those got canceled. <laughs> so I'm completely fucked. <laughs> but when I get we get on the other side of this goddamn pandemic, which is making me lose my mind, I am going to use pitch.com. Welcome awesome. to the program, Christian Reber. I'm pronouncing correct. <laughs> it's R-E-B-E-R, so. yeah. and it's Reber. Exactly, exactly. Thank, Thank you so you're, much, Jason. You're a German, aren't you? I am, yes. That East explains German, the precision correct. of your software. I hate to be, <laughs> I hate to be stereotypical, uh, but you're in Berlin. No, 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 no. It's correct. I think we, I, um, like, I think Germany produced multiple task management apps. Like one of the most popular ones was Wonderlist. Also, Things came from Germany. So. Ah. We love to produce task management software, it seems like. You like uh, to stay on task and get things done. Exactly. It's our and DNA. you're specifically in Berlin, correct? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Now, Berlin has become a center of excellence for rave and dance music, art, <laughs> I'm, I'm told, some really good clubs. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, I was in some club. It was in a burnt-out building, and there was a giant hole in the floor, and everybody was dancing on this <laughs> hole in the floor. And I was like, you maniacs, if somebody falls down this hole, it's a 15-foot drop. They're going to die. And you had all these crazy Germans <laughs> in leather and outfits and masks and high out of their minds dancing around a pit. <laughs> Have you been yep, to this club in Berlin? Anyway, putting that aside... Yeah. Design and startups are also big in Berlin. Why? Tell us about the Berlin scene, and then we'll get into pitch.com. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I'm a part of the Berlin scene since uh, 2006 or so. That's when I moved here. Uh, I'm from a small town near Berlin, actually, just a few kilometers away from here. Um, and it really evolved, uh, I think, in the early days, you saw a lot of like communities like Facebook, like our local versions of Facebook and e-commerce companies 
Then around 2010-ish, you saw a lot of software companies, uh, and you still do. Um, slowly, you see a little bit more crazy stuff like uh, blockchain, deep tech, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but it really evolved. It's a fascinating, fascinating industry. Um, and like, I think the largest companies here provide a tens of thousands of jobs for a city like Berlin. So similar to to san francisco and new york it's uh it's a very important industry these days so are there a lot of designers there is is that in some design school that makes berlin so good at design or do you when you went to school in germany was there just a focus on design i'm curious how that sort of became a thing in germany like where design is important or celebrated because it does relate to the two products you made i think wonderless yeah. was a very basic take on to do and i don't mean that yeah. in a derogatory way i mean it in an yeah. efficiency way but it was also gorgeous stunning yeah and awesome. did you thank you build that in and i will get to pitch as well is also stunningly beautiful mm -hmm. did you build that design in-house do you hire a design firm how do you achieve what i would call the the, the 9.5 10 out of 10 on design well i'm humbled thank you so much um it's a great question i honestly have no uh idea why uh design be became such an important thing um in my career but i always felt like i'm a design driven founder um and we have designed everything in-house both at wonderlist and at pitch um that said we've recently actually partnered with a great firm called metalab um from vancouver um uh to help us a little bit but uh generally i think the, the germans are just really good at crafting uh uh, premium products. Oh, so you right? heard MetaLab. They're the ones who did Slack, right? Famously. Uh, exactly. That, uh, exactly. That was one of their most famous uh, projects they've worked on. Um, they did Uber as well. Uh, maybe it was Uber Eats, I think. They did. Uber, Coinbase, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's a great firm. Andrew and I, the founder, uh, became friends doing Wanderlist days, actually. We had, uh, he had a competitor product. Forgot what it, what is Flow, I think it was called. Um, get Getflow.com. Pretty cool uh, task management app, and what we is became it? Let competitors. Me just ask you, what does yeah? it cost? Ballpark, not specifically for that company, uh, Andrew's company, but for mm -hmm. a company of that design level, what do they charge to design an app like a SaaS app? Is that like a half million dollars, quarter million dollars? What do you think that costs for a year? Yeah, I think quarter million work? dollars is is nearly where you land on. Um, it mm -hmm. really depends on the complexity. Um, and like what what kind of product you want to build is it multi-platform just a mobile app um is it like 10 screens you need or 100 screens you need um i, I think we, we didn't even outsource our design like we had a pretty good design team but what i kind of tried to accomplish there was to challenge our own product design with one of the best product design firms out there uh to increase oh, the that's quality interesting. so like a hybrid so, system so Exactly. You would say to your team, make your best effort. Then you go to Andrew Wilkinson, um, uh, who seems to be a really brilliant guy, and say, hey, punch this up. Tell us how to make it better and tell us why you did that. And then you bring your team back. And instead of them feeling admonished, they feel like they just got coached or somebody just gave them notes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, honestly, like I'm such an instinct-driven 
person that I rarely like research the kind of products that I want to build. Um, for me, the opportunity pitch was crystal clear, like build uh, the next generation web-based uh, presentation platform um, uh, that works a little bit like Figma and all these modern design tools, but purely made for presentation creators. Mm. Um, and I thought like, okay, now we raise some venture funding and it might be a good idea to validate your <laughs> your ideas. And um, MetaLab has really built a very good process around that. And they uh, interviewed hundreds of presentation creators, um, like Google Slides users, PowerPoint users, Keynote users, and tried to figure out, like, are they actually looking for a better solution or not? And mm. if so, uh, which features are they missing? And that was a really good learning process for me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a right. great company to partner with. That's uh, great to hear. When we get back from this quick break, I want to ask you, what is the core differentiator that you learned from talking to all those presentation users? And then what did you come up with for a pitch as the reason why somebody would give up mm -hmm. a decade or two that they invested in understanding PowerPoint, a decade that they've invested in understanding Google Slides, a decade in trying to be like Steve Jobs and create very precious mm -hmm. keynotes. You, these are big competitors, and I want to know what Absolutely. ideas you found out in order to base pitch.com on when we get back on this week in startup. Do you wish you were in on some of these amazing yum yum IPOs in 2019 and 2020? I bet you do. Well, with our crowd, accredited investors can invest directly, easily, and most importantly, early. You want to get in early. And our crowd, O U R C R O W D, investors have benefited from companies going public like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive networks to review some of the most promising startups in the world and they look at these companies and then they let you invest in them alongside of the our crowd team our crowds investment team has already invested hundreds of millions of dollars in over 200 companies with dozens of exits accredited investors can participate in single company deals for as little as ten thousand dollars or one of our crowds funds for as little as fifty thousand dollars so today you can join our crowds investment in tavel this is a company that's in the AG space, agriculture, and uh, they want to help people save billions of dollars a year by harvesting fruit that is left to rot on the vine. Tavel's AI-powered flying robots pick, then, and prune an orchard. Think about that. How amazing is that? And they help mitigate the global shortage of fruit pickers while offering cost savings of up to 30%. Seems like a fascinating company. And you can get in on this investment right now by going to rcrowd.com slash twist. If you're an accredited investor, you can visit rcrowd.com at O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash twist to review all their current deals with no payment involved until you decide to invest. Hey, everybody, welcome back to This Week in Startups. We've got Christian Reber from Pitch.com. What a great domain. Uh, he doesn't do a lot of podcasts. <laughs> he doesn't talk about what he does, but it's actually he my sold first wonder. One. This is your first one, really. I mean, you yeah. don't really do them. Uh, and so thanks for doing it. I DM'd you. I reached out. I told you I was a fan. You were like, all right, fuck it. I'll do it. <laughs> uh, so Wonderless was great. You sold that for Microsoft. That was like, what, like 50 or $100 million sale? Something in that uh, range? $150 million sale was it. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. And, and that was like Thank a five-year so journey you worked on it? 
Five-year journey, um, uh, crazy roller coaster ride. Like we've always followed uh, uh, the success. Uh, fascinating journey in the end. Um, yeah, really thankful for it. They sunsetted it, but did they move all of those features into some other to-do task manager? Exactly. Like uh, the the idea was to rebuild uh, Wonderlist for the Office suite, um, so they turned it into Microsoft To Do. Uh, I wasn't really up for the task because I felt like I'm a founder. I love to build new stuff. I'm not really in like a manager who integrates something and rebuilds it, rebuilds it with existing Microsoft tech. Um, so they've rebuilt the product. I think it's a good app. Um, but yeah, I've actually started Superlist very recently as well, uh, like the unofficial successor product. <laughs> oh, really? So I guess your non-compete is way over. Um, uh, it's so, way over, yeah. Way over. So, <laughs> and, and yeah, didn't you try to buy it back, I heard? And they were just like, yeah, no, we, we're not doing that. Exactly. That Yeah. Uh, I was interested in buying it back because I always felt like I haven't finished what I started. Um, and I, I thought like, Wonderless is a great product. People love it. Teams love it. I have a clear idea of how I can make it better and turn it into a profitable software company. And uh, I thought I could help Microsoft uh, by getting rid of it fast um, because I knew they were struggling internally to to integrate it somehow and shut it down because people were were loving it. Um, so I thought that's a good idea. Um, well, Microsoft didn't agree, obviously, so they shut it down in the end. And um, yeah, that's the story. And you made a public tweet <laughs> where you asked them, please let me have it back. Uh, <laughs> and they and what happened? Did they even, I, I saw the tweet that you sent, you were like, uh, I'm serious, Satya. Uh, please let me buy it back. <laughs> Keep the team and focus on Microsoft to do it. No one will be angry for not shutting yeah. down the list. And you, you got, was a, got thousands of hearts on that one, but I'm yeah. guessing nobody called you back. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Definitely tried to get in contact with the right people there, but uh, I think I got blacklisted quite quickly. You know what the problem is, I think, when I look at those kind of transactions? Um they know that you're going to bring it back and that you're going to be successful. So then it becomes this thing where it's like, ah, yeah, you yeah, want yeah. this no, guy no, to make it. us look stupid. Like we bought his house, we shut it down, he came back, he reopened it, and he's going to, yeah, then he yeah, goes yeah, and sells yeah. it to Google. And it's just too much emotion. And it makes, it really just makes them look stupid. I tried to buy Cosmo.com in the web 1.0 days. And mm. I went to JP Morgan, which owned the assets after they shut it down. And I was like, I, I can raise a million dollars. I'll give you 10% of the company. What, what do you want? And they were like, we want this nightmare with Cosmo to end because it was going to work. <laughs> we had it working in three cities. We blew through hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever mm. it was. And we know you're going to make it work and we don't want to look stupid. I was like, but you'll own 10%. Yeah. And they're like, we'll still look stupid. We just don't yeah, want people yeah, to yeah. talk about this painful. So that is, uh, you, you tried to buy it back as well. Like, funny. So we tried the same thing and failed. <laughs> well, I hadn't, I, and I wasn't the person who started Cosmo.com. I just loved oh, okay. it. It was the okay. it was like the early Uber Eats or Postmates. It was really like Postmates mostly because you could hot you could just order anything you wanted, and within one hour they brought it to you. Sometimes two. Mm. So you'd be like, I want a pint of Haagen Dazs and a DVD to watch Dances with Wolves tonight, <laughs> and some bagels for tomorrow morning. And like literally in ninety minutes, a bike messenger would come. But then they had a problem. The bike messengers were also selling weed, 
and <laughs> when, when weed was illegal. So reportedly, I can't confirm any of this. Literally, I can't. I'm not joking. I can't confirm it. But then they were like, there were people who were, you know, bike mess. Everybody knew in New York, bike messengers could drop off packages. Let's just leave it at that. And um, you could get a little Girl Scout cookies or sour diesel to pair with your Hagen dazs and your Dances with Wolves. I don't know if you want to smoke weed and watch Dances with Wolves. T- <laughs> tell me about Pitch.com. What was? What did you learn? And mm-hmm. what is the, you know, uh, what is the core differentiator from mm-hmm. the three juggernauts? Because it's three. Those three are the juggernauts, right? Yeah, it's PowerPoint. Uh, it's Keynote and Google Slides. Um, I think the key differentiator in Pitch is that you can really build. Uh, beautiful professional presentations within minutes. That's really what we're trying to enable our users to accomplish. So we have a huge library of handcrafted templates for like sales reports, pitch decks, and status updates. Um, what have we learned? We kind of understood, um, like I give you the backstory. Like we were a design-driven software team. We were looking for an interesting opportunity to build a uh, good product. Um, and we saw these design companies like Envision, Canva, Figma, uh, and what else was there. And we thought, okay, design software is cool, but what about building a uh, software for non-designers? Uh, so non-designers can build beautiful stuff. And um, that's really how Pitch got started. Um, so... Um, we have a range of like very unique features like blazingly fast desktop apps, dead simple editing experience, powerful workflow features like the ability to assign slides to your coworkers, set slide statuses, uh, integrate real-time data from services like Google Analytics and Google Spreadsheets, and uh, collaborate with live video right within the app. Um, wow. So I think what I've what I've kind of learned the most uh is that people have a really hard time to create great decks and decks got a very bad rep um i think amazon was very popular with this like no powerpoint decks anymore at uh like executive meetings and stuff um and i think when i looked at this industry i felt like presentations as they are today are like really outdated and and just not modern anymore and that's kind of what i what i wanted to fix uh and so you're going completely multi-platform it's not just web-based because you can build on the web you have a web interface yeah but you also have windows and i think you're coming out with ios and android and some other stuff soon exactly so it's truly cross platform um we use a very similar tech stack to companies like superhuman notion slack um so like it's completely web based like when you use the mac app and windows app you're essentially using a web app and that's the same app you're using in the browser and therefore we can develop the product like a hundred times faster than like our competitors can do. Uh, like you said, we, we need years to catch up with the existing products to reach feature parity. Uh, but once we're there, uh, we can fly. So, um, yeah, I think we chose the right stack there. Uh, what, what is the point of wrapping web pages into an app on Windows or Mac? 
<laughs> like, is there some big, huge win other than when I hit Alt-Tab or Control-Tab, I can switch between them, and if I accidentally close my browser, I don't lose it? I've always wondered, like, isn't the whole point of writing an app that you get something extra speed or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's mostly comfort, to be honest. Like I, for example, I was never a Gmail user because uh, I didn't like the experience of like opening your browser, opening a tab, entering gmail.com. I just wanted an email app. Um, I think users don't care if it's a native app or a kind of like web wrapper, as long as the experience is the same. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, I think one, one thing I've learned with Wonderlist if, is if you have a cross-platform product, so you build Windows apps, Mac apps, iPhone, iPad, tablet, Android, and you have like a Java, uh, you have a Java app, you have an Objective-C app, you have a Swift app, you have a whatever app. Uh, it's just insane to maintain all this stuff after some time. Um, and I think that's why kind of most of these uh, next-gen knowledge worker apps like Superhuman, Notion, etc., cetera, uh, are being rewritten, like, or these office products are being written, re being rewritten uh, from scratch. Um, so it's an interesting op opportunity right now, definitely, for productivity founders, let's say. All right, when we get back from this quick break, uh, you've raised mm -hmm. $50 million already for this. I mm -hmm. want to understand why so much money to build this and, and how mm -hmm. much runway does that actually give you? And then what's the business model here? Because mm -hmm. most people are getting a presentation software for free and there's this whole concept of SaaS burnout happening. So I want to understand how do you get people to go to their boss and say, let me use pitch and pay extra for that when I've already <laughs> got PowerPoint, Keynote, or Google Slides available as part of our already paid for mm -hmm. office suite when we get back on the suite of startups. As someone who's invested in over 200 amazing startups and advised countless others, I want to talk to you about a serious pain point I see all the time. People are spending a ton of money, they have massive burn, and they don't have a lot of revenue. And what that leads to is a short runway. What are one of the big costs that people have? It's all of the time and money that they spend on SaaS software that they've got to integrate together. And they take all this time that should go towards their customers, right? Well, Odoo is here to change that. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that allows you to build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. It's really simple. It's modular, so you can just plug in the different pieces. And it's all open source, so you can spend your capital on talent, people, resources, human capital, as opposed to having 50 different, 25 different expensive software products. So here is your call to action. Your first app is forever free. That's right, free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering you a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's no joke. I'm not, I didn't say a hundy. I said 10 hundies, $1,000 right now, but you have to get it now. Odoo.com slash twist. Odoo.com slash twist. Get that $1,000 right now. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to this week in Star Wars, my guest, Christian Reber. He is the CEO and co-founder of Pitch, which has raised $52 million. Last round was the $30 million Series B. 
uh, with Thrive Capital, who led it. Uh, my pal Kevin Sistrom from Instagram, shout out episode, I don't know, maybe 40 when he had two people at the company. <laughs> uh, my boy Raul from Superhuman and previously, um, he was in Superhuman and previously Reportive, and I'm in a little micro LP in his micro fund. Um, and they've got a little fund where they're investing. Uh, and then I guess before that, uh, Index Ventures, our friends, uh, Danny Reimer and the team over there, plus Eric from um, Zoom, Slack's mm-hmm. fund, great list of investors, 52 million raised. Is that a lot of money for building a company like this or is that the appropriate amount of money? I mean, that seems like a ton of cash. <laughs> is that the appropriate amount of money? Well, good well, question. I mean, I mean, what do you need? To, um, I mean, to build something that's that cross-platform, I would yeah, think you need to yeah. have 50 engineers or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, my idea is to build an all-in-one presentation platform. So I think when I when I looked at presentation tools, I just found it ridiculous that you build a deck and then you convert it into a PDF, then you upload it to DocSend, then you send it around to people and it... I felt like this is crazy. Like it should be an all-in-one kind of solution. You create a deck, then you share it on pitch.com. It's a link and people can interact. You you, you should, I don't know, have a f- platform built in like SlideShare. Uh, so is 50 million the right amount? Uh, we like the true story there is we never actually raised money. Uh, we always got offers from investors like um, Index and Thrive. Um, and I've like partnered with Thrive on Wonderlist before, and these guys were just so interested that they made us an offer that I couldn't resist. Um, so I think building that kind of product just takes a few years. Um, and until you can turn your business into a profitable, uh, company, uh, takes another few years. And, um, yeah, I try to raise the exact amount to accomplish all those things. And so far, I've raised the capital to build version one and then spend like one or two or three more years on, on improving it. And then I will probably raise another round uh, at some time um, to turn it into a really fast-growing, profitable SaaS company. Um, yeah. So, and it really depends on how you look at it, right? If you if you if you're able to create, I don't know, two, three, four billion in market cap uh, by building a software company, and you raise fifty or hundred fifty or two hundred million dollars, is that an appropriate? Yeah, it amount? seems appropriate. Yeah, yeah. H- how many people does it take to run a company like this when you're building for so many platforms? Is that fifty engineers, a hundred engineers, ultimately? Oh, that's extremely difficult. Um, to say i would say to get it off the ground um probably takes 20 25 30 engineers um so actually not that many but if you want to accelerate it um so like i think my personal benchmarks for getting this product to to the market were, were companies like um zoom for example or notion or figma which were founded in 2012 i believe i'm not sure exactly sure when zoom was founded but figma i think and notion were founded in 2012 and it took them a long time until 2020 to get to where they are today and i think you can definitely accelerate the development 
And since, like you said, we're in a very comp competitive space, um, you essentially compete with free products. Um, so, uh, yeah, this additional funding gives you a lot more firepower to build more stuff faster. So you mentioned DocSend. Mm -hmm. DocSend's killer feature is the ability to track what slides users look at for how many seconds so that uh you know somebody who is pitching an investor can see they spent you know 60 seconds on this slide 10 yeah. seconds on this one and they skip these three uh, do you support those features and that is exactly what we're building yeah yeah uh, that is exactly what we're launching in q1 next year uh presentation analytics that will be part of our uh, premium version how do you think about that on a privacy basis? I have stopped uploading, uh, clicking on doc sign links because I mm -hmm. find it creepy. <laughs> Not everybody thinks the way I do. Yeah. And I, there's a website that's called like doc to doc send to PDF or something. And you can just put in a doc send link and we'll make a PDF for you. Cause I just don't want people to have my IP address, security issues, and then also exactly. knowing what slides I'm looking at, et cetera. But I understand founders want to have some, reasonable uh, control over their information. And I, I don't know why it doesn't give you an explicit warning. You are being tracked. So, And Superhuman tracks opens, but they put it in the bottom right. But when uh, Hey came out, Jason Freed uh, was on my podcast, and I'm an investor in Superhuman. Mm -hmm. I'm not an investor in Hey. And, and he was just railing on Superhuman uh, yeah. and Raul for people's privacy and not being upfront about it. How do you think about being upfront about it? Or do you think it's okay to bury it in the terms of service like DocSend does? Well, on specifically DocSend, I think it's okay. So I open DocSend uh, links because I know like I'm being tracked. That's kind of the purpose of that product. Um, uh, I think with like built-in analytics for tools or read receipts specifically, um, like Superhuman has, for example, um, uh, as long as the other side knows what's happening, um, it's okay. But if you, if you, and if you can opt out of it, if you just don't want to be tracked and, um, I think I was very skeptical in the early days of like GDPR uh, stuff when it came out, like as a founder, because I thought like, oh my God, this is creating so much extra work for startups. Um, but yeah, I think I've learned that privacy really matters and is extremely important to people and myself. Uh, I also don't want to be tracked um, when I don't know it. Um, in terms of being in control as someone who shares a deck with external folks, uh it's perfectly fine because let's be honest most investors i know angel investors like take screenshots of decks send them around forward pdfs so like i think creators would like to be in control of the docs they send around um so i think actually in a weird way it helps privacy a little bit um knowing that you just can't send these things around so easily anymore uh without the other person knowing so that's an interesting approach to it because you do bring up a very valid point, which is on the other side, people might be taking screenshots. I think DocuSent, does DocuSent tell you if somebody takes a screenshot? Can they actually know? I, I don't think so. Maybe. I don't think so. Or DocSent. Yeah, DocSent. Yeah. Um, 
See, I, what I think should happen is when you log in, it should said, it should say, in order to look at this document, we are tracking how many seconds and you know which slides mm -hmm, you look exactly. at. Click here to approve. I think that's what you should do on yours. And I think my suggestion mm -hmm. to Raul and Superhuman, and I was public about this with Jason Fried, is you know when you have um, on your iMessage, Apple does a really good job of you can set read receipts, I think by person. So I could mm -hmm. say with my wife, and I have this, she can see if I've read the message. But I don't do that with everybody else because I got a bunch of randos, you know, I'm messaging me. I don't want them to see that I saw it. And they're like, you saw my mm. thing, you know, well, you didn't respond. And I'm like, I got mm. 500 emails a day. Um, <laughs> so you don't think GDP, GDPR isn't even probably up to this yet. Um, but I, I like that idea that people commit to um, being tracked if it's open, right? And exactly. I think that that should be the way it should work is I should be able to say everybody at inside.com or at launch.co, my two companies, uh, they should be able to see if I've opened it, you know, and if, but I don't want anybody else to know I've opened it. So I was using something called like ugly mail or bad mail. There was a Chrome mm -hmm. extension that showed you which links were um, being tracked and it would put like a yeah. little toxic icon. And what I would do is, if somebody sends me an email, I hover over the links and they have those trackers. Mm. I just don't click on the links. I just go type their domain in. So I don't want them to know that I clicked on the link because then it just creates this mm. whole like, yeah. oh, you clicked on the link. You know, can we set up a phone call now? And it's like this. Yeah, this stuff you know, is annoying. Creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think there's, a, there's an extremely fine line between the value it brings to business customers, enterprise customers specifically, like the bigger your company gets, the more you care about privacy and being in control of your files, especially in like services like Notion, like Pitch, maybe Dropbox. You want to know is someone sharing files outside of our business and where do they go? Um, uh, I think in some capacity that's kind of covered by GDPR, but it's cr it's definitely a little bit complex to figure that out in detail. Yeah. Hmm. So, uh, how do you think about pricing for the product? Is it just the standard, you know, hundred bucks a year per seat kind of thing? Exactly. So it's ten dollars a month uh, for um, folder permissions, video uploads, um, yeah, and presentation analytics, like I mentioned, and workspace roles, so that kind of stuff. If you go Premium. enterprise, does that mean you pay more or less? So if I wanted to put a hundred people on it at the company, do I pay two hundred dollars per person to have all that management, or do I pay fifty dollars a person because I'm buying more? How do you think about that? Well, we are one month after launch. We don't have an enterprise oh. version yet. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's something we definitely will focus on over the next years. Um, but uh, yeah, right now uh, we don't really give discounts, um, so it's a pay per seat model. Um, Got it. That said, like it's if you want to use it, you can use it for free to create unlimited amount of decks with unlimited people. Um, lots of stuff is actually free. Um, so cool. When we get back from this quick break, I want to talk to you about the killer feature I found in it, which mm -hmm. is the video collaboration feature. I haven't used it mm -hmm. yet, but this seems to be a really interesting one when we get back on This Week in Startups. Okay, you know if you're running a SaaS company, software as a service, a monthly subscription, you've got all this value sitting there, right? You're getting money in every month. 
but you want to put money to work. You want to grow your startup. Well, there were two ways to do that. You could take a loan and you could live under debt and that makes you pretty anxious. I know it does for me. Or you can sell equity which is expensive as well. Listen, I, I buy equity. I can tell you it can be expensive, especially if you have a company that's really doing well. Well, now there's a brand new third way to grow without debt or dilution. And that is pipe.com. P-I-P-E.com. Pipe is a two-sided marketplace. It connects SaaS companies. So you have a SaaS company and you're you know, generating a lot of revenue, but you're charging on a monthly or quarterly basis. They then take your yearly contracts where they take the value of these contracts, put them as a year, and they sell that reoccurring revenue to institutional investors who would like to get a return on their investment. So they give you the yearly value up front for your monthly or quarterly subscriptions. It's like the NASDAQ, but for software contracts, right? This is a totally new category. It's never been done before, and it's really cool. I mean, this is incredible. They're going to eliminate all your trading fees for one full year. Just go to pipe.com slash twist, and they'll eliminate all your trading fees for one full year. This could save you tens of thousands of dollars depending on the size of your business and the volume you trade so happy piping everybody sign up today at pipe.com slash twist welcome back to this week in startups christian reber is here he is the founder of pitch.com which is absolutely stunningly gorgeous tons of beautiful templates we'll get into that uh but the feature i thought that was really interesting which i haven't used yet because it's behind the paywall i believe no is- it's free for 10 people <laughs> oh, it's free for 10 people. Okay. Yeah. So there's a live collaboration, a live video collaboration. Explain what that is. Yeah. So uh, the idea is really simple. Uh, if you collaborate on anything, you usually need to open up Zoom and uh, uh, invite your collaborators, then open another app, screen share, and that is like really complicated. And one of my brilliant engineers uh i think a month before we launched pitch um pitched me this idea of like hey why don't we have like live video collaboration in pitch because then you can just send someone a link and collaborate on the deck and i was like this is brilliant this is like a really next level multiplayer if you want to think about it um and it really helps you to not need another tool for like audio and video communication um, and that really, uh, for us, it's the very first version. So we also want to, uh, soon launch like audio and video recordings on decks. Um, so we want to support like the synchronous kind of presenting and the asynchronous kind of way of presenting. Um, I think there are so many cool ways to, to deal with audio and video features in pitch and also other web products. Um, it reminds me a bit of mm-hmm. loom where Loom totally. will let you walk people through, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a presentation or a website like a doc send or mm-hmm. a website. And they just put a little round video of you and somehow the camera uses AI to just do your face. So you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about your background if you're in a cafe or whatever. And so mm-hmm. when you're doing collaboration in pitch.com, it's pretty cool. You pick where you want to put your little circle of your face. Mm-hmm. So if we had five people, instead of having like a bunch of video over here, the video is just little circles. I wish Slack had that feature where no. you could have just like <laughs> turn on your little video and just throw it into a Slack room so when you're chatting, people could see it. Uh, exactly. We had the Loom CEO, by the way, on the podcast episode 1113. Uh, mm-hmm. Great guest. So Absolutely. are people using that product or not, the video collaboration? What has the early feedback been on it? And do you think it's the killer feature? 
It's not the killer feature. It's I think uh, like lots and lots of users love it and use it every day. Um, I think what it, it solves a bunch of really interesting problems. Like if you share a deck through any video kind of product, so Loom or Zoom or whatever there is, uh, you always have like video compression on it, right? And uh, sharing a video through a video tool uh, is not a great experience because you, you don't really see the video. You don't really hear the audio. Uh, you don't you have, have like, control. Video. You don't have control. You you or have all video compression. Don't have control, right? I mean, that's the problem. Yeah. So you have you have like this video compression, which can be really bad. And the idea we had with live video is anyone just sees the slides. Those slides are on the devices uh, the viewer has, and just the video is is the only thing that it gets like compressed. But it doesn't really matter. I think initially we knew. It's an exciting feature for people. I, we really loved it when we when we've uh, used it ourselves and we uh, uh, gave it to beta users. They loved it, um, but we we feel like it's just the very first. Um, it's our way into audio and video features uh, of any kind. As a like SaaS angel investor, I actually believe lots of uh, productivity apps will have live video collaboration at some point in their products. Uh, because it's just a really cool way to collaborate. Tell me about templates. That seems to be a killer feature for Notion and other folks. Like, uh, mm -hmm. what's the other one uh, that everybody... Airtable seems to have built a business off of having great templates. It seems like the people at Keynote or, you know, Google Slides or... Um, you know, keynote, they, they just don't give a shit about the templates anymore. And they just like, they PowerPoint put out some templates, you know, whenever, and then yeah. maybe the audience puts them out, but they don't seem to renew that. Do you have a team that just thinks about and makes crisp, gorgeous, like Squarespace actually is the great, and Notion are great examples of that. They're constantly coming up with yeah. beautiful designs that you can draft off of. Like literally, you can start with like a world-class design at Squarespace. Use the code TWIST for 10% off when you check out. And the same with Notion. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a, I think we have a very similar approach like SlideShare there. Um, so we have a team that thinks about templates all day and ships one new exciting, uh, beautiful template after another. Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's fairly simple, right? If you are a founder, you create a you host a board meeting for the very first time, you have to most often create a deck for it and you have no idea how to do that. So you start Googling a uh, board meeting template, then you find some crap on the internet and you, you're not really excited about it. It's not really helpful. So in pitch, you just have a really uh, professional board meeting template. You click it, you create your deck in like five minutes and then you're done. Um, so I think it really, it's it's not just about creating beautiful stuff. It's also cr about creating professional stuff. Um, I think when I, I like to tell like my team all the time, as I think we have to invest into creating the fastest, most delightful experience for our customers. If, if you are an employee in a big company and you create a sales report for the very first time or a marketing report, and you have no idea how to do it, um, templates can, can like save Days, days of work for you uh, and really help you to to win at work um, so yeah very similar approach I think like slideshare sorry what was it not slideshare 
Not slideshare. What was the other one? Uh, I think Google Slides. Squarespace, has, you just said, right? Oh, Square. Squarespace. No, yeah. People, yeah. Notion and Squarespace and Airtable, I think, are the three best examples yeah. of companies that relentlessly release these templates and these templates engage you and re-engage you. So I think mm -hmm. that they probably have a department that's just responsible for putting out some number of collections and then marketing them so consumers understand them. And that was like one of the beautiful things. I have to say, like, it, it's so clear. The details, I don't know if you've ever heard like um, big, there's a website like Big Little Things or Little Big Things. Little, little yeah. Is it Little Big little. Things or Big Little Things? Uh, and they they just think about UX, little big details. Uh, the little big details. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Have you seen this website? Yeah, it was oh, it's great. It's so great. And <laughs> it's just like if you're into product, littlebigdetails.com. I don't know who the hell came up with this idea. There's just some wonky person who studies UX and comes up with little tiny observations about what people are doing in Google Forms or something on Stack yeah. Overflow where somebody thought of a little detail that you know nobody's going to notice but it's just super brilliant and the one yeah. the one i really loved inside of pitch was when i started working on my first deck i noticed that with you know um the templates and um the slides in each template right so i picked a template mm -hmm. i picked the one called light or something it's pretty beautiful mm -hmm. light kind of thing and then it has a little tiny tiny taskbar at the bottom with the templates and the background color and images and then you can pop it up a little bit and see you know like a little strip of all the different possible slides because you know when you're building a deck you want to quickly look at what template does this piece of knowledge i'm trying to transfer you know which which one should i use should i use bullet points should i do a big hero image with a little bit of text under it mm -hmm. and then you can see there are 29 slides in the light collection uh template collection and you can just make it a little bit bigger and then <laughs> there's also maximize and then all of a sudden you see like a three by five or a four by four whatever your screen's at and it's mm -hmm. absolutely like one of those beautiful and you know then you can compact it down it reminds me of you drive a tesla right christian mm -hmm, exactly you're on a model x or did you just go to the model y well, I'm terrible. I actually have both. <laughs> Very good. Uh, my, Very my, good. Two Tesla my, family. I like it. Yeah, have we have the Tesla. We have the Tesla battery in the in the basement uh, to power our house with solar on the roof. Like, nice, I'm a Tesla nice. fanboy. No, I, my wife is is driving the the X because we have two young kids. It's the perfect oh, yeah, family car. And then what do you and, have? The pushing the Y. Uh, the, the daddy drives an S. <laughs> oh, you you're old school. You got the old school S. All right. Yeah, I and mean, we we have no Y in in Germany yet, so it's oh, pre-ordered. Oh man, when you <laughs> if you're an S driver and you drive the Y, it's sort of like going from like you know like a big Cadillac, a big wide seven series BMW or something, and then getting into a tighter like a Porsche or a you know mm -hmm. a, a tighter driving experience with a shorter i guess a narrower wheelbase or whatever and man d yeah all dads model s is a dad car for sure but the model <laughs> y is like if the model s and the model x had a baby and then that mm -hmm. baby was like even smarter than their parents <laughs> that's the model y experience because you're higher up you got a lot more room 
but it drives a little, I find it's tighter. I know Elon doesn't like when I say this, but I kind of feel like the Model Y is the masterpiece in the entire line. Yeah. I know the X is really the most advanced of all of them ever made. And the and the new mm -hmm. S with the crazy ludicrous is bonkers. But I am just Model Y all day. Like if I, I, yeah. I have all four, I come outside, the one I want to drive is the Model Y. And now my wife, who has the X, now she wants to drive the Model Y. So I lost my Model <laughs> Y. I'm like, why did I get this? We basically have a sexy driveway. S, uh, that's 3, awesome. X, and uh, Y. That's awesome. Well, yeah. and I got the Cybertruck coming, so I need to get like, I'm literally like this, I'm turning into that guy who's got a garage for cars. <laughs> so I'm literally, when I move to Austin, I'm not moving to Austin. Maybe I move to Austin, I don't know. If I move to Austin, I'm just going to buy a garage to have like a poker <laughs> garage warehouse somewhere with all my cars in it. Um, but I just love that detail you put into it with that little template stuff. Yeah, I mean, these, these are like some of the best products ever made, right? If you sit in it and drive it, it's the best experience you can possibly have. I'm a big fanboy. I love the company. I love the founder, obviously. So, yeah, very, yeah, and, very. And inspiring. now Germany. Oh my lord! It was very interesting. Your the Beamers and the Volvos and mm -hmm. the Mercedes were laughing at Elon mm -hmm. ten years ago, dismissing him. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Maybe Mercedes will invest fifty million dollars and give him the drivetrain for the, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. the 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 steering wheel for the original S. I think was the Mercedes one. I know it yeah. was the Mercedes. Uh, one there are there are a lot of Mercedes components. I think still in in some Teslas, right? Yeah, in the S. Um, I think I think uh, the the diesel now they love for him. Fox oh, he run, goes over uh, there and they the love diesels. Elon now. Yeah, Germany. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think my, uh, I think um, Mercedes has a few interesting cars coming up: uh, EQS and EQC and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think yeah. Tesla will have a harder time in like two or three years. Um, I think they we keep saying we, that, but you know, up. here's the thing: I think that all those companies are going to spend. You know, billions of dollars to catch up to him to have, mm -hmm. you know, what might wind up being like very sexy BMW, gorgeous Mercedes interiors, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not going to have the self-driving and they're not going to have the software upgrades like he has. And it, that's going to take him another five years. Uh, do you use self-driving at all? No, not, not really. No. Yeah. But I mean, like, I think that's the beauty of a free market, right? Uh, even if Tesla has their own self-driving solution, maybe all the other companies team up to build their their version. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, Waymo, yeah. and then I think Tesla. I think Uber is selling their self-driving unit. What do you think? All those. I think all those people are going to get there at the same time. What do you think? Like, I think all self-driving arrives like in the same two or three year period. Yeah, probably. Years, I think years. so too. Yeah. I think it will probably take much longer than than expected. I don't know. I think even even as like a tech fanboy, uh, uh, I don't really trust self driving cars yet. Um, but but I, honestly, I haven't been to San Francisco. Like maybe those things are these days totally normal, and everyone everyone can experience. I it would say already, I uh, trust the self driving ninety nine point nine nine percent on the 280 101 freeways when I drive down the five. In fact, they've made it super sensitive now because all these mm -hmm. idiots are going on YouTube and leaving the front seat like mm. as a joke, they're morons. Mm -hmm. uh, or they were putting an orange or a grapefruit in the steering wheel because the steering wheel knows if you're holding it. So they were trying to trick it. So people were taking like clamps and clamping them to the steering wheel to create a little bit of weight, but not too much weight. And I'm like, idiots, just pay attention. But man, when you're on like a 280 or a, you know, in Germany, mm. the Autobahn, you could you could set that car 
It's sort of like those Cessna planes where like, even if the pilot falls asleep uh, or, you know, God forbid the pilot had a heart attack and died, mm -hmm. those planes, they can just fly forever until they run out of fuel. <laughs> and that's actually yeah. happened. Like people have had heart attacks in Cessnas or there was that famous golfer mm. where they ran out of oxygen and he was in a jet and it was on autopilot and it just kept flying. And they, they had planes, you know, military planes on either side of it talking to them mm. for like an hour. And it turned out they lost cabin pressure and lost oxygen. So everybody mm. just died or got knocked out on the plane. It was really tragic. Uh, so when you launch a product like this, what's the go-to-market strategy and how do you try to chip off people from those existing uh, products or do you not bother and just say, you know what, I'm going straight for startups because startups are open-minded and they're five people and they like to invest in new technology. In other words, the notion and Slack Yammer mm -hmm. approach of just screw it. We're not going to go after the big enterprise. Let's get all the startup people. Mm -hmm. Again, like very similar approach, I think, to, to most other SaaS companies. Uh, we focused on initially on like teams with less than 200 uh, members or companies with less than 200 employees because we felt like they're the desire to get better software or best in class products uh, is really, really high um, and the barriers are low. Um, like throughout the beta phase, when you, and we had a pretty extensive beta phase of almost a year. Um, mm. We've had all sorts of uh, companies, companies with 10 employees, 50 employees, but also thousands of em employees. Um, but yeah, go-to-market strategy really is uh, focus on small teams first and then uh, grow uh, with, um, yeah, by building more features. Uh, I think really the, the moment we will be able to provide the best possible product to enterprise customers will it will still take two or three years uh, until we're there um so there's Are no you point gonna build in, a sales team i was now. having this discussion with chamath and friedberg and Sachs on the all-in podcast the other podcast i do we're talking about the slack acquisition in episode 14 of the all-in podcast and they said the thing that slack did too late if they if there was any mm -hmm. monday morning quarterbacking you could do because it's obviously the greatest success in SaaS ever mm -hmm. i think to, or maybe zoom would be and they would be like a close second in the modern day SaaS world yeah so they, they, nobody did it better than 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 Stuart and eric everybody knows that but yeah. they said the one criticism they had was that they didn't hire a sales team and embrace like a sales culture early enough are you one of these SaaS people who's like, just buy it if you want to go to the website? Or do you think you need to have, you know, a, a serious enterprise sales team now to, to do those yeah. 200, 400? Well, speaking of, speaking of like, is, is 50 million the appropriate amount to uh, build a product yeah. like this? We have a sales leader at Pitch, uh, even during the beta. Uh, uh, not cheap either, but it's, it's a great, you, you just need, you need many months to understand like, how can you sell your product? Uh, where where do people like how how fast can you close deals? What can you actually build for enterprise and larger teams, uh, enterprise customers and larger teams that is valuable? Um, so yeah, we definitely. I had conversations with Stuart about this as well, um, and he said also to me like we invested in in sales way too late. Um, and to be honest, every successful SaaS founder is telling me the same. Invest in sales early, learn as fast as possible. How do you deal with the fact that the sales people get paid more than you do in a lot of cases and a lot of the other team? Or does nobody care? They're just like, whatever, they have to do sales and that's brutally hard and boring. <laughs> and so let them get paid more and we just want them to be rabbit attack dogs because we got the equity. 
Mm. How do you deal with that? Great question. Like, I think there are just two two different kinds of companies, right? Some companies uh, pay sales folks the same like everyone else. And uh, then most companies uh, have like this um, flexible component bonus system. Mm. Um, really depends. Like I've seen both. Uh, at Wonderlist, we had three sales folks who didn't get bonuses, but were really um, had the same kind of salaries like everyone else. I think both works. It really depends on the company. Um, you, you, I think every founder and every team can decide how to do it themselves. Don't really have an opinion on it. What's better, yeah. what's worse. How do you keep everybody focused mm -hmm. on this one thing for years and years and years? Because, you know, in order to be great at this, mm -hmm. you really do need to have focus and you know, people can be like, oh, we should build a word processor and a, a Google sheet and we should go after the whole office suite. But that's not how you're going to be successful. You have to make this one thing perfect. So how, how do you think mm -hmm. about that and keeping people focused? Or is it just, hey, listen, if you're not into the mission after two, three, four years of doing this, we'll just, you can you can leave and we'll get another person. Mm -hmm. Fascinating question. Because I think I've experienced this once before as a founder at Wonderlist that people were getting tired after four or five years of working on a to-do app. Um, so I think it's perfectly normal and healthy for people to just express that and say like, I, somehow I'm just tired to do the same job of, for years. Um, and I think that was interesting to, to observe at Microsoft. Like as soon as we've joined such a big company, uh, Lots of team members like joined the Xbox Xbox team, the Windows team, the OneNote team, and they just uh, basically switch teams inside an organization. Um, and I, we've learned from that. Um, so we try to uh, keep the competition up internally and enable our like product team leads to recruit each other internally and try to. Uh, create a talent war basically uh, inside the company. And that way you, as an employee, I think you constantly have new challenges uh, you get excited about. Um, and then, yeah, I think it's my job to to really uh, rally the troops and get everyone excited about the mission we have. Um, but yeah, ask me in like three or four years again <laughs> how successful that is. Uh, all right, listen, I've taken enough of your time. Continued success with pitch.com. I think it's a great product. I've been enjoying using it. I'm building my launch culture deck, which I'm going to unleash on my team because I am uh, I just read the Netflix book about culture of high performance. I don't agree with all, but you, you read that Netflix new book, Reed Hastings' new book yet? Uh, I, I have it on my uh, Kindle Audible? for like four Kindle. weeks. Uh, <laughs> you got to read it. It's soon. really good, actually. And Patty yeah. McCourt's previous one, because uh, she was the human resources person. like I had her on mm -hmm. the podcast like three years ago when she did her book. They were good reads back to back. The Reed Hastings one with Erin, I forgot her last name, uh, who's a, like an HR specialist. She's going to come on the pod. Mm -hmm. And then the Patty McCord, who was the HR person. So there's like literally two books. And then the co-founder of Netflix wrote a book. So I'm going to read that one too and have the trifecta of them. So you kind of get the Rashomon, all different versions of what happened at mm -hmm. Netflix. But the core thesis of freedom and responsibility really resonates with me, which is like hire adults, have talent density hired, the most talented people. That's kind of obvious. You want to hire the most mm -hmm. talented people you can afford. Erin uh, Meyer is the uh, person who really wrote the book with Reed. It's basically her mm -hmm. book though, based on my take on it. Reed is kind of like maybe 
20% of the book and Aaron's 90, mm-hmm. 80% or 90% maybe, um, which is fine. I mean, I think they really nailed it, but freedom and responsibility of like, you're responsible for Netflix, Brazil, Netflix, Poland, Netflix, Tokyo, mm-hmm. whatever, Netflix, Japan, and you're going to have to make decisions. But it was really interesting as they went around the world, like in Germany, like certain things about freedom and responsibility where like, you know, oh, we don't have a travel policy. Do what's mm-hmm. in the best interest. Do what you would do with your money was one, their original travel policy. And then somebody was like flying first class and like going out to like absurd restaurants and ordering $800 bottles of wines. And they're like, what are you doing? Because like the CFO was in the back and coach and like all these sales mm-hmm. executives were in business <laughs> at first and they had spent thousands of dollars on wine. Like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And they're like, you said to do what I do. This is how I fly. This is what I spend my money on. And then they said, okay, that's not the rule anymore. The, the, the heuristic, we're not going to tell you how much you can spend, is do what's in Netflix's best interest. Is it in best interest to spend 8000 on wine? Maybe if it's Tom Hanks and you're trying to win a deal and he loves wine and that wins you the deal. <laughs> but if you're just going out with four other Netflix people, please don't buy $8,000 <laughs> bottles of wine. <laughs> so it's really interesting how they like tried to take away, because they, they, they basically were like, the basic premise of the book, and I'm curious what you think of this just as a general strategy is mm-hmm. talent density, get the most people, best people you can give them freedom and responsibility and be candid with each other and then take away rules. So remove rules, but you can't re- remove r- rules if you don't have the right people and that, and you don't have this like freedom and responsibility FNR. What are mm. your thoughts on management? What did you learn in terms of managing a startup and managing people? Uh, well, I burned out from like micromanaging people during the Wanderlist days. I was ob- completely obsessed. And I think most founders have this insane challenge of doing most of the work themselves in the early days than to becoming and growing into a CEO that just manages yeah. people who yep. manage people. Yep. So everyone is going through that weird phase and transition. And I think most of us are probably doing a terrible job the very first time you go through this. Uh, at pitch because we have done this before from the beginning like we knew okay we have to create autonomous product teams Um, we can't really micromanage people if you want to make everyone uh, keep everyone excited and mission driven we have to just provide a lot of freedom internally and we also hired a lot of senior folks who have been a part of other startups failed startups successful startups venture firms um and i think that really helps um to like you say like to create a very mature company culture uh where you how do you deal with people who are complainers eors they're just like they do good work so like Mm -hmm. on the work scale and productivity scale they're high Mm-hmm. But in terms of on the enthusiasm scale, they're annoying and negative. So, you know, if you had somebody who was super positive and enthusiastic and skilled, that's the top right quadrant. You love them, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have somebody who's a bit of an Eeyore. They're constantly, that's uh, from Winnie the Pooh. They're just constantly complaining. Or it's, we're, never, we're bad mm-hmm. at what we do. It's never going to get done. Why was there so much chaos in the company? But they're a high performer. How do you deal with those people? I hate to be honest, and I know it sounds like a lie. Be honest. I, 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 we don't have these types of folks at Pitch yet. And I think the secret there is that we have a brutal uh, hiring process. And I'm not invi- involved in like hiring most of our engineers. My co-founders are. And I have like four engineering co-founders who like 
uh, really interview every single engineer and we really take our time in making hiring decisions and make sure that we don't just hire very talented people but also very like-minded people and kind people if 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 this if it happens like i don't know we we definitely had this once or twice where you hired someone and you knew like ah that person would prefer to i don't know work on their own project or work on something else then yeah you just have to part ways in a professional respectful way and that's it and we prefer to do that as fast as we possibly can um yeah fire fast hire slow that's definitely the model yeah and uh if somebody's high perform i mean there's high performers who are also jerks you don't want them mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they have high performers who maybe are negative but you can work with them you can just say listen you you're coming across as negative it's kind of a downer to be on the phone with you mm. can you just be more enthusiastic and celebrate the wins a little bit more and i appreciate the obsession with the things we're doing wrong but kind of brings the call down maybe talk no. about three things that are going well and then add the thing i've had this no, conversation no. with many people over the years who are just it's never good enough for them right i used to be no. like that as well i'll be totally honest i was a little bit like this is not good enough we can do better work and you gotta take time I think, to, to be celebrate honest, the wins. i think it is extremely important as a founder to be the most critical person in the room like and you should never turn that off you should never like learn not to be so critical anymore you should actually invest into coaching your team so they are critical as well both of their work and of other work other people's work um i think what you should try to accomplish is if, is some kind of feedback culture so if you are in a meeting with someone and you 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 don't enjoy it for whatever reason you need to have a culture where after that meeting you just talk with each other and say like hey you kind of pissed me off that that wasn't cool what you just did um and that's it and if you like you say if you're a grown-up culture or a team of adults then you should be able to confront each other in a respectful manner um and that's it Yeah, I had this happen recently on a board meeting. I was like, I brought up, I said the, I said two questions. The same other board member was like, mm -hmm. yeah, we don't need to talk about that right now. And then <laughs> I asked another question. They did the same thing to me. And I texted them and I was like, hey, bruh, I was in this company like for two years before you even got on the board. Mm. And if I ask a question, I would prefer that you don't roll over me. He's like, well, I'm just trying to keep things moving. I was like, I'm the point guard. You need to show me respect. He's like, I totally respect mm. you. I was like, don't run me over in the board meeting. He's like, I, realize <laughs> I didn't realize I did it. I was like, that's okay. You know, if you want to be the captain of the board, you can be the captain of the board. But if I ask a question, I expect an answer or at least like, you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds for at least to be considered before it got shot down. I was in shock. I was like, mm. wow, look at me. <laughs> I'm a target. Well, feedback now. culture again, right? If you, if you, no, and it was be good adults. because I, you know, I had to get it off my chest because I was like, I, I'm not going to go to another board meeting and then have the same person. Like, every yeah. time I ask a question, he's just like, <laughs> he just shoots the question down. I'm like, what? He's like, wait, we talked about that last morning. We did that. I'm just like, uh, I, I'm bringing it up for a reason. It's important to me. I, I own 7% of the company or I represent 7% of the company. Can I mm. maybe ask a question? <laughs> it's pretty funny. But board dynamics are weird. You have a yeah. you do all your board meetings remote now, so that's efficient, right? Yeah. 
I think oh, it's awesome. I love it. It's that's the best part of this remote first world. You used I think, to have to be in person, right? There was this like in person yeah. board culture. Did you have the in person board culture for Wonderlust? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like VCs were flying in in their private jets to have board meetings with me in Berlin. So uh, definitely, uh, and then you had to take people out to restaurants in the evenings. Like that Every, is just not happening dinner. anymore. The yeah, old board dinner. It's, it's not happening anymore. It's awesome. You, you um, get back all that time. <laughs> no, you, you get more seriously, time you get back 10 hours. Uh, absolutely. What happens is if these board members fly in, then you have to have lunch with them, a board meeting, then you have yeah. a post discussion, you go on a hike, you bang some drums, you sing some songs, and Kimbaya, yeah, exactly. you go have dinner. <laughs> the next morning, you got to drive them to the airport. It winds exactly, up being like. Yeah two-day yeah. thing and i mean it i think i miss it a little bit but i think one time a year yeah. is going to be my thing one time a year we all get together in person do something fun and then let's just zoom is so much more efficient you have a distributed it, team uh, or are you going to go back uh, to your office it, after vaccine it is hybrid uh, we've been distributed from the beginning but we also have a headquarter in berlin uh nice beautiful you go to the office now or no well, some people are because they just need a change of scenery once in a while. Like if I think if you have two or one kid at home and it, uh, you don't really have an office, I, I let those folks work from the office. Uh, but like the rules are don't don't take the bus, don't uh, take the train, come by bike, don't really meet other people. And then you can work in the office. And it's. That seems it's reasonable. Healthy. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have all this testing soon anyway. I mean, we're recording yeah. this in December of 2020. All this testing equipment, I, I, uh, I, I'm just acquired some more tests. So I have rapid tests mm, that yes. I got from, uh, you know, a guy fell off a truck kind of thing, or my friend has one. <laughs> uh, and they're going to be, a, I don't know if you, ha if you have those in Germany where you can just take a, do a, buy like 100 rapid tests for $25 each and then do them yourself. Or do you have to? Still I go think to a you. I clinic? think you can't buy them. But what we have are like little stations so where you can go, and then uh -huh. you get tested, and twenty minutes later you get the result. Is it free, uh, or do they charge you? Uh, I think it's free with health insurance, and uh -huh. since everyone has health insurance, I think it's technically free. So does that mean you've done it like ten times or two or three times? Like you just no, go to uh, there was no never in like I had one COVID test when I uh, flew back to Berlin. Like from a flight, I had to get tested and still oh. had to get quarantined uh, five days or so until I got the you, results. You flew but, really? Wow, brave! Yeah, I flew once in summer uh, to ah. Spain and back to just for a family vacation, and all of us had to get tested. Well, it's so weird sometimes these rules like. Me and my wife had to get tested, but not the kids. And then we, the kids could, it's just like, it's a little bit confusing. I think Germany does a pretty good job on it, but the rules are just sometimes a little bit confusing to people. Yeah, it does seem like there's no rhyme or reason. We just shut down all outdoor eating in California, yeah. which then sends everybody indoors. So people who yeah. would have eaten outdoors with a, another couple or two other couples yeah. or whatever, six is the limit, where they're friends, they're not going to invite them to come over to their house. And what are they yeah. going to do? They're going to shut the doors because it's a cold outside. And now you're, that's why this thing is surging is because we just don't have stupid, these politicians are so dumb. They can't understand that going to the beach or going for a hike or biking is better yeah. than from going shopping inside or inside mm -hmm. your house and having dinner. It's so dumb. Anyway, listen, this has been great. Congratulations, Christian, on another so amazing SaaS product. We'll be watching 
uh, from the sidelines. I'm not an investor, but who knows? Maybe maybe the a future round will open up, and I can zip in a quick milli. I don't know. <laughs> who knows? You never know. The, when did the yeah. round close? The last one? Uh, yeah. I honestly don't know. I think. 2019 mid, mid 2019 or so something like All right, that well maybe you know something happens you know you yeah. do a little convertible no you know a little discount yeah, i'm gonna round. give you a call <laughs> give me a cat me like slide in a quick 500 you know just a little, <laughs> little taste to get my beak wet anyway uh, we do the all-in syndicate yes uh well Jason, you, you don't need so money much. but yeah but uh thank you for coming on the pod appreciate it and stay uh thanks i know you're in germany so it's late there i'll let you get back to the fam and uh we'll see you all next time on this week in startups bye bye